Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you along. It is another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast. This is the first of a two-part deep dive with Castrol Racing's Tickford Mustang driver, Thomas Randall. Now, normally on this pod, if you're a long-time listener, you know that I tend to chat with drivers who've been around a while. They've got stories to tell from all angles. But although Thomas, at the time that we've done this, is 26 years of age, you might think he doesn't have much experience. There can't be that many stories. He's got life experience that so many other people don't have. Now, it's been really widely publicised about his battle with and his victory over testicular cancer, and we'll cover that off in detail. But on this part of the pod, we're going to get stuck into where he came from. Early racing, going overseas in open wheelers, racing against the likes of Lando Norris and Lance Stroll, as well as a deeper dive into that mighty Saab sports sedan that his father Dean raced and that Thomas gets behind the wheel of nowadays as well. Randall is so well-spoken, so mature, he's an impressive human being. He's a quality guy, and I've got no doubt that you'll really come to learn that in this pod and also part two that's coming up next week. So let's barrel into it. Buckle up. It's time to start part one. Thomas Randall on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Thomas Randall, welcome to the V8 Sleuth headquarters. It's You've been here before, but not for a podcast, so you're in the hot seat today for something different. I am, yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me, uh, Noons. I think the last time we were here, it was a, well, it was a three-way chat between you, myself, and I think it was AVL. Castrol Motorsport News that Podcast. That would be correct, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, people get to hear you quite often on our Motorsport Podcast Network because there's the ad in our MN pod with you driving your Mustang. I thought about getting you to wear your helmet today and to have to do a full podcast oh. like you do the ad, but I thought, no, let's give him a break and he can actually well, do it for real. Do you stuff. know what? I've actually had a few people ask me, did you actually record that in the race car? So I know we did a bloody good job at that. That was actually filmed in a in a proper sound studio in Sydney when we were doing the season launch last year. On the media day, we popped down into, I can't remember exactly where it was in Sydney, but it was this incredible room and they said it's one of the most soundproof rooms in Sydney. And uh, I gave them some onboard GoPro footage from one of the test days and then they literally got me to wear my helmet and uh, we tried that. Then we tried no helmet. Anyway, they obviously put something together and the amount of people that messaged me saying, I hear that bloody ad on Triple M all the time or whatever it is. So I'm hoping that all these people are going out and buying plenty of castor oil. Uh, you've got your plug in. Well played. Thank well you. played. <laughs> hey, and let's go back to the very start. So you've got a racing family. Your, your dad's a racer. Was this always going to be the, the go for you? Or, I mean, you've got such a – you are such a unique character in the supercars and the motorsport world because you have other interests and other things that are not motorsport and are very different from motorsport. So was this all – most of the blokes I ask this to go, yeah, I was born to do this. It's all I ever wanted to do. Is this all you ever wanted to do or are there other things along the way that could have potentially gone across the top of motorsport? I mean, it is a pretty broad question, isn't it? I mean – the thing about when you start in go-karting, 
you're there just to have fun, mm. right? Every time you go out in the go-kart, you're just looking forward to getting out there and enjoying yourself. And yeah, my dad, Dean, was uh, a champion sports and racer in his own right. He won the- We will talk about the okay, Saab. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Saab. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess that's where the story begins. So yeah. he he uh, he wasn't a driver. I mean, he, he started his own business, um, Swedish Prestige, servicing Saabs and Volvos. And, I mean, he- he loved racing, but he just couldn't afford to do it. And it wasn't until he was in his mid-30s that he actually bought a go-kart. His dad or my grandfather wasn't interested really in racing at all and, and he just bought it for a bit of fun. And then he ended up getting into racing cars, you know, in, in, in the 90s and into into sports sedans and he had plenty of salves over the years. But it wasn't until about 2003 when he brought me home my first go-kart and I was seven at the time and probably the biggest mistake you ever made bringing home a go-kart for me. But, uh, look, I loved it and my local track, Oakley Go-Kart Club, was where he used to take me and I remember he wouldn't let me do my first club meeting until I got under a certain lap time. I think it was like a 46-second lap or something. I had no stopwatch on. I had no dash so I didn't know if I'd done the time and he used to stand on the track being a cone basically and said, you have to basically hit my feet like to get the apex Otherwise, you're not getting the corner properly. So oh, H&S should not be listening to this right <laughs> now, just quietly. <laughs> That's very true. So, um, yeah, he raced sports at ends. I used to go to the track with him. I mean, I think my first memory would have been probably early 2000s when he was racing at Sandown or Oran Park. And, um, yeah, I guess when he brought me home a go-kart, that's when I fell in love with it. But that was, as I said, it was really just fun for, for him and I, a bit of bonding time between my dad and I and, he was still racing sports sedans up until sort of 2008, 2009 and it wasn't really until he put aside his driving and that we sort of focused more on my karting. So later on in my in my karting years was when we actually sort of put, put our heads down and thought, well, maybe we can actually get some decent results here. So we've got plenty to talk about here. There's obviously supercars. There's open wheeler stuff overseas but let's go down the Saab path because – You've raced that car even in recent times, just the start of this year at Sandown where you broke the, the sports sedan outright lap record. It's a unique type of racing that we don't – it had a higher profile some years back, but the cars, they're loud, they're fast, they're all the things. Tell me about this Saab because it, it's nothing like <laughs> the Saab that someone might drive about? on the road. What are you talking about? It's exactly like the Saab 93 <laughs> that drives on the road. Um, well, that's the thing. So sports sedans – they actually used to be on oh, the support huge. bill huge. quite frequently with yeah, supercars. Yeah. And um, I'm going a bit further back here, but I remember 2002, I think that was when there used to be that sidetracked program on Channel 10. Trackside. Trackside, sorry. You're showing your you, – you, yeah. well, I was impressed there for a second. Well, yeah, uh, I, I made a mistake there. That's but right. 2002. 2002. Yeah, um, so how, how old are you in 2002? I would have been six years old. <laughs> I feel old. Sorry, now. I would have been eight. Oh, uh, no, six. I, I was six oh, then. Geez. 1996, I was born. So, yeah, six years old. And uh, that we were, well, dad was supporting the supercars. And I mean, that was back at Sandown. The crowd was, I just remember it, the crowd was massive. And um, I actually remember, I think dad uh, finished second in the in the second race. And Grant Denyer came over to interview dad. And, and, you know, he's sort of looking up at dad, interviewing <laughs> him. And, uh, he looks up at most I people. Think, to I, think, him, I think he know? does, yeah. So, um, <laughs> quite, quite a, an amazing time and, and some funny memories but that Saab 
there's been a few iterations over the years. Um, the car that I was racing at Sandown a, a few weekends ago, that was built back in 2008 by Ron Hossack. Um, and a lot of people get confused. Darren Hossack, Ron's son, who actually used to be a co-driver for FPR back in the days, um, he's he raced sports sedans for many years and he actually raced a Saab as well, a Saab mm. sports sedan, but it was a different Saab to my dad's. And uh, as I said, dad had a few over the years. He actually had a big rollover in 2006 in the in the previous chassis. Was that a Phillip Island? That was a Phillip Island. I remember that vision. Yeah, it was that was huge. Huge crash. Um, yeah, the aftermath was was quite interesting. Oh, that's yeah. We do tell, do tell. Uh, he was upset. Uh, he was up. We'll just say, look, he was upset. Yeah. And long story short, Daniel Tomasi, who actually yeah ran wide and they made contact. Um, they're actually good friends. So. Um, yeah, it turns out you, you can get over a blue in motorsports, <laughs> but look, it was um, yeah, that was a hell of a car that one. And he actually won the championship in two thousand and six at Iron Park. He clinched the title, and the car that we race now, as I said, built in two thousand and eight. Uh, it was raced in two thousand and nine at the Island Magic by my dad. He did another round of it in twenty eleven at Wakefield Park, and but in twenty ten they ran that car in the whole championship with James Sarah driving it, and they actually won the championship. And then when I moved into cars in 2013 doing Formula Ford, my dad said, all right, if you sort of prove yourself in the Formula Fords, I'll let you drive the sports sedan. So uh, in 2014, he let me drive it for the first time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was nearly 10 years ago. So Mm. I've been able to drive it over the years a few times, race the championship in 15 against Jack Perkins. But um, that car, it's got a V8 6-litre Chev in it, ex-NASCAR engine. Um, It's a Dale Earnhardt engine. It's got a live rear end with a nine-inch diff. Um, it's got six-speed modern gearbox in it, and it's basically on steroids. That car, you know, it was home built. It's got so much aero, no ABS, no traction control, and to be lapping, you know, I mean, we set a lap that was about half a second faster than a GT3 lap record, and mm. nearly a second faster than the supercar lap record. So it's. Almost, I would say, nearly one of the only cars that I drive that actually scares the living hell out of me. <laughs> I was going to say, it's fun. It has to be fun because not just the speed, but it sounds the part. It looks the part. It's a purpose-built race car. Oh, I mean, and it's funny. Whenever I post anything about that car on social media, it always gets such a good reaction. And it's such a – I just enjoy the weekends as well with my dad and, and all the guys because it's – I mean, it's a lot more laid back than a supercars weekend and the amount of time and, and effort that's been put into that car over the years um, and, and to still get some great results and, and to still show how fast that car is, especially, you know, having a live rear end, um, it's really a testament to, you know, Ron who built the car and all the work that dad's done over it over the years. And uh, I, I like, you know – spending those weekends with dad where we're working on the car together, you know, when I'm cooking the bacon and eggs in the morning, making lunch for the boys or going through the data, trying to see if we can break another lap record, try and break another lap record yeah. make the car faster. And then it's funny, you get back in the supercar and it's like, oh, you know, it doesn't quite feel as fast <laughs> as the Saab. Um, but I think it's probably the only Saab V8, well, that I know of in existence now. So um, whether or not it's going to help Saab sales overseas, <laughs> I think that's questionable, Aaron. Yeah, probably won't. Probably no. won't. But the interesting thing here is some teams are very gun-shy about letting their drivers, and I mean supercars, which is the full-time commitment and that's what you're there to do, do these extracurricular things. But it almost feels like in more recent times that teams are a little bit more open to do that. We've seen, of course, Shane Van Gisbergen just you know, Drives whatever. do anything yeah. and, you know, um, 
it really only ever feels like it's political things that block teams or teams not wanting their drivers to do things. You've got free reign from Tickford to, to do that? Absolutely. And, yeah. and, I mean, I guess we sort of just covered it, you know, that there's probably no rivalry between Ford and Saab at this point in time. <laughs> or the, the Chevy-based uh, oh, Saab. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, I guess so. Um, look, I, I, I guess Cam Waters is allowed to race a sprint car a fair bit, and I figure the sports sedan's probably not much more crazy. Um, and in terms of safety, probably not much different either. So, uh, yeah, Tim... Tim's fine with it. He's cool with it. And uh, it's funny, that weekend, Rod's, Rod Nash's son, Charlie, was racing in the XL. So well, well, I was giving him a bit of, a few um, tips there. And, and it was just great to see Rod with his son as well because it's kind of like what I'm doing with my dad on those weekends. We're just having like father-son bonding time. And it's, it's cool that Rod's doing that with Charlie as well. Have you got any more dates penciled in for the Saab this year? Or is it is it one and done? Or is it is it one of these ones that you just sort of make a decision on? A bit closer to as, as just a one-off type thing? Well, we we hadn't actually raced that car since Island Magic in 2021. So the national championship went to a different tyre, um, which since – well, we actually had a few tyre failures at, at Island Magic. So we basically parked the car because we, we didn't want to run the car on that compound. And uh, with the Vic State rounds, the tyre – um, compound is open or the tyre brand is open. There's no so control. There's no tire. control. Yep. So we thought, you know what, let's get this car out, dust the cobwebs off with the car, with myself, just great mileage for me, you know, pushing the car to its limit. And, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, at the moment that was just a once-off, but we'll see if there's any others that sort of play into the, the calendar with supercars. We'll start a social media push. We'll get everyone on board through the pod. Oh, yeah. You know, the Saab fan club for sports sedan. Well, ho- get well it, hopefully get it, get it, it actually gets Saab. It might bring Saab back overseas. Imagine that. It won't just be jets they're settle, building. Settle, mate. Settle. Calm down. Calm oh, down. Okay. I'm getting excited getting here. Getting Tom's a bit too excited <laughs> here about the, the mighty Saab. Uh, we talked about your dad racing and, and the Saab stuff and the sports and stuff. So it's a little bit of a unique pathway in. But obviously when you started racing out of carts, you went to Formula Ford. And some of the contemporaries of that time, you, you're still racing against in supercars now, whether it's Anton was around then, Macca Jones, James Golding, um, Matt Campbell was floating around back then in that period too. So, you know, we're talking a decade ago, but it was a pretty good class of kids around then who've all gone on to go places. Well, I th- in my opinion, I still believe Formula Ford is the best junior category um, out of go-karts before trying to make that next step, whether it be down the supercars path or heading overseas. I mean, some of the most successful drivers that we have in the V8 supercars or supercars, I should say, sorry. You're a bit old school, that's okay, that's all right. And and even those that have made it overseas uh, have started in Formula Ford. I mean, I think there's so much you can learn in that category about mechanical grip, about mechanical sympathy, the race craft, and, I mean, even the the data that you get off those cars, I mean, they've got MoTeC on board. Um, so you learn so much about drive development. And, um, yeah, I feel like if you can drive a Formula Ford on its limit and win races, get pole positions, all that sort of stuff, then it's really going to help you through your next stages of your career. And we did the uh, half of the National Series in 2013. That was when I moved out of go-karts. And then 2014 was when we did the full attack with our own team, Dream Motorsport, which was run by my dad. My teammate at the time was Lee McAdam and, uh, yeah, won the championship that year. Very close between myself, Jordan Lloyd, and James Golding. It was a three-way 
basically almost a three-way tie going into the very last race at Phillip Island. And it was whoever, whatever the order was across the line was the championship order. So managed to come away with that. And uh, it was after that that we sort of moved down the, well, wings and slicks path. And, uh, yeah, that was um, when we sort of headed down going overseas. Pretty much everybody I speak to about their Formula Ford time speaks really glowingly and lovingly of it because it's kind of it's a while ago now it's a, it's longer ago for a lot of the people I've spoken to on this podcast but there's always if you ask them like a standout race or a standout battle they remember it better than some of their most recent supercar stashes so is it that last race that decided the title that's your formula ford or is there another race that you oh. had you banged wheels wheels with someone or you just had an absolute cracking race because you you do get a, a lot of those in formula ford that stands out from your, your time in that I would say that that last race was certainly up there. I guess the the pressure of you know this is it. The whole year's come down to this moment. Um, so to come away with the the championship was obviously pretty amazing. But I would actually say if I wind the clock back a year prior when I did the national round there, and we were supporting the supercars. So 2013 was the last year that Formula Ford was supporting the supercars full time for all their rounds, and I think it was the last race of the weekend. Uh, heading down the straight, there was, I think Anton De Pasquale was leading, Sam Power was second, I was third, and James Golding was fourth. And before we got to the braking zone, we were four wide into turn one. And I was thinking, how the hell is this going to end up? And ended up James Golding then led coming out of turn one. I was second, Sam Power was third, and Anton went from first to fourth. So... Tell me of, of better racing in this country yeah, because that, that was uh, that was incredible. And that, that track is probably one of the best tracks for whether it's Formula V racing or Formula Ford racing because if you're leading on the last lap, it's there's almost a certainty that you probably won't win the race. <laughs> you're toast. Yeah. You're pretty much yeah. toast. So at this point, are you stars in your eyes, open wheelers overseas? This is the, the Randall focus of what, what you want to try to do. The supercar thing's not really on the on the – the landscape at the time. Yeah, at that point, we wanted to go overseas. Um, so actually 2015 was when they brought Formula 4 into Australia. And before the start of that, we actually did the Toyota Racing Series. And that was my first experience driving Wings and Slicks cars, which is quite a, a big upgrade for me driving a Formula Ford, no aero, you're sliding through whether it's Turn 1 at Sydney Motorsport Park or Turn 1 at Phillip Island to, all right, we've actually got some downforce here. Um, and you went from the H pattern four speed to a uh, you know six speed sequential paddle shift, and that was quite an experience for me because I was racing against guys from Europe. That's their off season mm-hmm. where they come down to New Zealand and get not just practice miles but racing mileage. And uh, that was the year that Lance Stroll won the championship, and uh, he actually had a rear gunner for him, Brandon Mizano, that that uh, he shipped over and basically paid his drive to help him win the title so if you can if you can you, you can. can so yeah, yeah. Very, that was i guess when i had my eyes open to all right this is i guess how much backing some of these european guys have got or canadian in in, in lance's uh respect but um we did that championship in 2015 i got a couple of podiums and then we did the australian sports sedan championship i think we finished third we had a few mechanical dnfs um but uh, look, it was great driving that car. And then 2016, moved to Europe to race British F3. Um, but then in 2017, we came back to do the Toyota Racing Series again. 
Um, my engineer, Hagen, he had won the Formula Renault Euro Cup the year before with Jack Aitken. My number one mechanic was my dad. My number two mechanic was a guy named Mo in his late 70s. And we won the title that year against um, some pretty big names too. So, yeah, it's been certainly a interesting path of mine to end up where I have now. But in that period, that the goal was to head down the Formula 1 path. And I don't think people will stop and probably who are more supercars fans and know the supercar stuff best really can get a grip of all that open wheeler stuff because you had a crack at quite a few categories and different series. So Formula Ford, a couple of years. Formula 4 comes on the scene in Australia, wings and slicks, and you, you're into that. Um, was that just a case of wings and slicks experience without having to go away and the budget sort of stuff fitting? Well, the, I guess a case of that and – there was some uh, good prize money for winning the title, which unfortunately we we didn't win. We we finished runner up um, due to some uh, yeah some circumstances kind of out of our control. But um, we always wanted to head down, or I always wanted to head down the European path. At this point in my career, growing up, um, I was always I'd always watch Formula One actually over V8 supercars. Um, who was your who, who were you a big fan of? Who was the the F1 team or driver that was the the one you're following? Um, I would say Fernando Alonso was my favourite driver um, and Mark Webber. I was always, every race that I watched, I was like, come on, Mark, you've got to get a bloody win. <laughs> and it wasn't, I think, till It's a lot of races. And yeah, I know, a lot of races there, before the win. There. And I remember watching that race, Nürburgring 2009, yeah. where he qualified on pole and we're like, all right, here we go. This is it. And then he had the... He um, came together with Rubens off the start, and they gave him a drive-through penalty. I thought, oh, like this just this is just typical of an Aussie, you know, just no luck. And he yeah. and he came around with the win, um, and then uh, it sort of then kicked off for him. But um, yeah, Formula One was sort of my bread and butter in terms of history. I, I used to know who won the last five <laughs> seasons every race. I watched all the season reviews with Ben Edwards. He was the the narrator of that of that. Um, and, yeah, I guess 2016 was when I actually got the chance to pack up my things. I think there was a week between signing the contract with my team to actually moving overseas on my own, living with my engineer. And that was when it sort of hit me that, all right, we're here and I guess this is the time to see if we can make something work. And how are you putting this all together? Is this family just going all in here? Have you got someone helping you out? Because a lot of the Aussies who've gone overseas in the past have had situation, and they're up. You're up against it from the start. With as you said, whether it's the Lance Strolls of the world or whoever it is from Brazil or wherever it is with all the budget that comes with it, how are you making this happen to go and have a crack at the British Formula Three Championship? So at that point, it was uh, yeah a, a lot of sacrifice from my family. The um, Saab didn't get sold though. No, the Saab didn't the get Saab sold. Stayed. No, Good. we have to make. I said if you know, if if we have to sell the Saab to make this work, we better we're not do, We're not doing it. <laughs> um, so at that point, early 2016, it was yeah a lot of um, well support from my family, um, and we moved over there, and then I was very lucky, very fortunate that the guy I was staying with he said, look, you know, as long as you sort of do do your washing or whatever it is, cooking and all that, you can stay with me basically. Pull your weight. Yeah, pull your weight, pull your weight and, and I'll look after you. And I worked I worked for the team as well, helping with – they had another program uh, with some um, gentleman drivers and some junior drivers. So I was doing some work there so I could afford to live and pay for groceries, all that sort of thing. So everyone goes over to England for a holiday and says, oh, I love it, I don't want to go home. Well, I can tell you when you're living there, <laughs> it's not much more fun than Australia. In fact, 
it's almost it's more expensive living in the UK than it is in, in Melbourne. And you're trying to grind it out because you're not unique. There's 50, 60, 70, 80 people from all over the world trying to do what you're trying to do at the same time. And when there's another wave of them coming in the next year and so on and so on. So in Formula 3 in that 16 year, there's some names that our listeners will know because of what they've done since. So who's the class of 16 that you're up against? Well, you won a couple of races and you were really competitive. So who were you fighting with? Who, who are the names that we would know? So the well, the biggest names would be probably Lando Norris. He was racing in the championship. Um, Matthias Leist, he did a year of IndyCar. Colton Herter, mm-hmm. he is still an IndyCar. He's a multiple IndyCar winner. He's trying to get to Formula 1, but they, they, they don't want to let him get to Formula 1. They're making it hard for Andretti yeah. at the moment. Um, and then Ricky Collard, so son of Rob Collard. British Touring British Car British Touring Racer, car racer yep. yep. Um, so some great names in that category. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we as you said, we, we got a couple of wins and uh, probably one of the coolest things um, was actually at Silverstone I managed to get pole position there and – um, it was about a week later I received an email from the British Racing Drivers Club inviting me to actually be part of the BRDC Rising Star program, which was yeah, a pretty cool experience. And uh, the people that I got to meet through that, um, I mean, there's some um, amazing alumni that are part of the BRDC, whether it's... It's a very good word, isn't it? Alumni. alumni. It's a very yeah, good very word. Good word. It's a very um, good word. There's some, some of the winners each year. And the and this is they members. don't hand these out willy nilly. This no, is not. You can't. Oh, he seems like a good bloke. Give him a membership. Oh, you seem <laughs> all right. You have one too. It's actually quite a Invite prestigious only. club. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's located at Brooklyn's Corner, and uh, it's the clubhouse. There's so much history there, and um, the the BRDC members, whether it's past or present, that are on there, it's uh, it's pretty special. So to be part of that was uh, was pretty amazing for a few years. And then the other highlight of the year was winning at Spa-Francorchamps from ninth to first. That was quite a highlight for me. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we, we didn't win the title. We came close, um, finished fourth in the end, but the, the points gap was really close for the top four. And then, yeah, in 2017, I did another year in another stint in Europe and was actually doing some prototype racing in, in Britain. And then we did the sort of the back half of the year in Formula Renault Euro Cup. Um, and I even got to do a few races in the Formula Renault 3.5 category. So, as you said, there was quite a mixture of driving different cars on different tyres, and I actually feel like that has really helped me with my progression into the supercars. Well, you're ducking and diving there because of just circumstances, opportunity. There's a deal going here. We can get some more experience. We can go and have a crack in something else because it's always tends to be the way. The budget tends to decide where you end up going but we're, there were just doors opening and opportunities and you know the 3.5 thing was was pretty standout because that was a step up so it's a case of you know opportunity Absolutely. grab it and go for it well i was actually working for that team at the time doing just some data engineering work and they had a driver and pretty much all the budget was paid for but he couldn't get his visa out of i think he was an indian driver and uh he, they couldn't get his visa so they said to me well what do you reckon? What are you doing for the what weekend? Are you doing, what are you doing for- Put that um, laptop for, down, sir. Yeah, put that laptop down. Come race at Jerez and Barcelona. So that was cool. That was at the end of 16. Um, but yeah, 17, at the start of 17 was when we won the yeah, Toyota Racing Series, went back overseas and we did sort of odd races trying to see where we could go. I did the 
um, prototype stuff, was trying to get a name for myself there, see if any doors would open, you know, getting a few lap records at a couple of the tracks because we were racing against United Autosports at the time. So trying to impress Richard Dean at the time, but the budgets to try and whether it was to do the European Le Mans series or World Endurance Championship, they were just so out there. Um, but when we had the opportunity to do the last half of the year with the Formula Renault Euro Cup, that was actually when Rusty French sort of um, started supporting us with that. He actually brought me back home. Oh, we, we went back home and I did a Super 3 race or a Kumo series yeah, race I remember. at Ipswich in yeah. supporting the supercars. So that was really my first supercars experience. And, uh, and and how did that rusty French type, because he's been a big part of your, your career in the last what, five or so years, but how did that all start? So that actually started, uh, well, it actually involves sports sedans, would you believe? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, we were supporting sports sedan, uh, supercars, sorry, I should say supercars were supporting sports sedans. <laughs> no, we were supporting the supercars at Winton in, I think it was 2015, and uh, I got pole position and I won the first race and we were pitted up where the, there's some sheds up near the old dummy grid at Winton and, and Rusty actually just came over and introduced himself and that was sort of when we first met Rusty. And uh, I guess since then, my dad and Rusty, uh, my dad has been doing a lot of work for Rusty over the years, whether it's restoring some of his old cars. Um, Dad's restored a few of his old Porsche 935s, um, some Pant Panteras. He's run Rusty in his TCM car and in some of his Group N races. Um, so, look, there's, yeah, been a big involvement with Rusty over the years and we're still very good uh, friends with Rusty and the support that he's given me, especially in my Super 2 campaign, basically from 2018 to 2020, my three years in Super 2, I was driving, as I'm sure most people would remember, the black and gold mm. Sky Sands Ford Falcon or the, or the Nissan Altima. So, yeah, he's been a big supporter of mine. And we actually tried to have a night. We had a night at Lorbeck's in Port Melbourne late 2017 to try and get some people involved to try and make it to whether it was going to be Formula 3 or maybe F2, but it, yeah, didn't didn't uh, come to fruition. So that was at, the, at that point, at the end of 2017, was when we said, okay, I think we're going to have to look at coming back to Australia because we just couldn't go any further. And you were, in terms of that 17, you were tapped out in terms of what you could spend. Had you been able to attract any investors? or Because you always find people along the way that, take a shining to you or give you a break or hey, introduce you to someone else who goes, oh, well, we'll, we'll help you out or were you just not quite getting those breaks to fall your way and it was just instantly relying back on you guys to keep finding the money yourselves, which there's only so far, you know, you could probably take that and clear yeah. that as a case. I mean, they say that, you know, one door closes, another one opens. I guess for us at that time, um, yeah, we hoping we would get more support than we did from whether it was other investors. And, look, it is so hard trying to race in another country because when you're from Australia, I feel like it's easy getting support when you're racing in Australia because you've got Australian companies that want to represent their brand and yeah. you can go and do appearance, like appearances with them, go around the country, all that sort and of thing. And they can see you racing on their TV as well. Correct. Right? Yeah. But when you're racing in, in Europe, I in mean – In Formula what? Where? Correct. Huh? There's yeah. – um, for them, it's very hard to support a, an, a, an Australian driver because they don't really need their business mm. or brand represented overseas. You sort of need more of those private investors that, that want to help you, whether it's get all the way. But, I mean, the budgets for Formula 2 are ridiculous. Uh, they're what around are we about, talking? Oh, probably 1.8 million euro at a, at, a, at a starting rate, and that's not including having to live 
uh, you know, rent, food, probably crash damage, flights, all that sort of thing. So you're looking at a, a pretty hefty budget and you're not even guaranteed anything after that. I mean, mm. there's been so many people that have gone through the ranks and not made it. So, yeah, I think we realise we need to be a bit more realistic. And at the end of, yeah, 2017, we said, you know what, I think we'll just come back home. And like I said, that period was an incredible period in my life and my career. I got to race on some amazing tracks, drive some amazing cars. I even got to drive an FIA Formula 3. That was the old Dallara car with the sort of the, the jet intake on the side. Got to drive that a few times. The people that I met, um, the relationships that I've built and still have with people overseas, uh, it's it's so funny whenever I race or well, whenever I'm at the Grand Prix, I kind of feel like I'm back in Europe because yeah. of the people in the yeah. paddock. Um, yeah, the people that were mechanics in Formula Three back in 2016. You know, they're now in Formula. Some of them are in Formula One, so it's good catching up with them when when they're in town. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state. And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that it gives you, I think a lot of people don't look at this part of it, but it's the racing experience and it's the different cars and, as you said before, different tyres, different tracks, different styles of racing. But it's the, it's the other stuff. It's actually the living stuff having been over there myself what 20 odd years ago james courtney's over there will davison's over there will powers over there it's not just the the racing part of it that's actually a small part of it. it it's it's the grind of every day you're on the other side of the planet and at this stage you're 20, how old 20, yeah, yeah i mean young in the era where your friends you've finished school they're at uni they're out and about there's stuff going on everywhere and you're not there for any of it so there's always that element of Fending for yourself, you're a long way from home. There's a lot of other stuff that comes into this, but I tend to see that the drivers who've been overseas, they're more well-rounded, not just in the driving sense, but in the person sense too, because they've had to do all these things that they wouldn't have otherwise had to do if they were at home. So it's kind of a going to school in life just as much as it is in car racing. Well, you certainly grow up fast when you're on your own and away from family. I mean, my parents always said that, well, First thing is I have to finish high school. That was, they said, you've got to finish your VCE or HSC for those in New South Wales. Um, so I finished high school. I actually got into mechanical engineering at Swinburne. And so I finished high school in 2014. And then I did six months of a mechanical engineering degree at Swinburne in 2015 before I put that on hold to do Formula 4 because that started at Townsville that year and ran all the way to Homebush, which was our last round. And then 2016, 2017, I was in Europe. So I actually withdrew from the unit. And then when I came back to Australia, I resumed it. So I'm actually now in my th three years into my four-year course, but I can't do it now during my <laughs> supercar season. You've got a good excuse. Got a so. very good excuse. Yeah. But as you said- You'll get back to it. Get back to it. Yeah. But in terms of being over there on your own and, and sometimes you're just trying to work out what to bloody do during their days because- you're pretty busy whether it's on the weekends and then you're training but apart from that I mean there's no appearances you got to do because you don't have any big brand sponsors or anything like that and you're trying to fend for yourself and make a name for yourself it's um, some days were harder than others and you know I, not that it mattered I guess but 
like on my 21st birthday, I just didn't really do, you know, there was no party or anything or catching up with friends. My sister actually put together a video for me, um, some birthday messages from like all my friends here, which was pretty cool. But um, yeah, it was a, a hell of an experience. And as you said, I think it's really matured me for when you've got to fend for yourself in the supercars paddock. So let's go supercars. So you mentioned that one-off that you did at Queensland Raceway, which was in Rusty's, which ironically is triple eight car, Correct, but yeah. painted in the in the Sky Sands black and gold. There's actually a triple eight Vodafone BF once upon a time um, back in the day. So that's your first. So is that the first drive you had of one of of a V8 supercar, or did you have a little dabble before um, that? I actually did have a dabble before that. I did. So when I finished runner up in Formula Four, there was a prize at the end that Nissan were running, and that was that I guess they would select someone. To, to drive their supercar at Winton and they actually selected myself. Well, they selected Jordan Lloyd and myself. So I did about 10 laps, I think, in, in, a, in a Nissan Altima at Winton. So that was really my first time driving a supercar. I think that was at the end of 2016. It was meant to be at the end of that year, 2015, but it actually clashed with there was a test, a two-day test in Valencia in the Formula 3, which we managed to get onto. And I think Jordan was there as well. So... We did. We took a rain check on basically that. Basically, did a rain <laughs> check on that with Nissan. We said, "Look, we're going to be over in Valencia testing uh, Formula Three. So sorry about that." But um, we both managed to do it. I think the following end of the following year. So that was yeah my first taste of a V8 supercar, and then I guess that was my second um, drive of one. Um, and then at the end of the year, at the end of 2017, I actually went and did a race in a Porsche at Sebring. And I came back and did a half a day with Paul Morris in a FGX Super 2. I think it was the car that Anton ran in the 2017 year. Yep. So that was, uh, yeah, before we then signed with Tickford for 2018. And so 2018, Super 2, uh, as we said, the the black and gold. How did you adapt to it? Because here you were off, you've been away for a little while. The scene never stops here. It always changes. Some of the faces for you are the same. Um Golding sort of around the world, Macca Jones is around the world. Like there's there's a lot of familiar faces that are sort of still there from your previous open wheeler stuff here. But how did you adapt into to Super Two? Because it was a bit of a bit of a learning curve straight up, straight in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was used to not banging doors because if you try and bang wheels in an open wheeler, normally uh, someone's gonna head. go flying or the s- suspension being broken. Um, the, the the actual that year didn't start off very well because I, I was going there, but I was going to see yeah. if you took it there. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, the first race, I think we quali- we qualified in the top ten, which was pretty cool because I mean, I think that year we had some big names like um, well Gary Jacobson was doing it, Paul Dumbrell, and he I think he just won the championship oh, the year before. I think he won it a few years anyway in a row. Chris Pither was doing it. Um, you know, there were some some big names in it. And so to get in the top 10 in qualifying straight away, like I was I was pretty happy with that. And the biggest thing for me was trying to get, get the brand new tyre, the green tyre as we call it, working because it's quite a unique tyre. I, I wasn't really used to a tyre that can you go out, you do one flying lap and that's about it, you got to park it. I was more used to the tyre sort of gets better as you go along. So that was an experience. But the first race... Um, Early on in the race, as I went to turn eight, um, had a power steering failure and uh, almost wrote the car off, but that put us out for the weekend. So I was already on basically zero points and I hadn't um, 
well, yeah, I didn't really have many miles. So we got to Tassie for the second round and that was really our, my first proper experience of Super 2. Um, and that was when, all right, okay, you can really bang doors with, with cars here and get away <laughs> with it. I mean, yeah, there'll, there'll be Your a eyes few. just lit up I was like, oh, here we go. Oh, this you is, can do this? Yeah, this is good. It's a thing. Um, and then the third round, Barbara Gallo, which I, I mean, I had half these tracks I'd never been to, but Barbara Gallo had never been to it and we actually put it on pole. Which and was, you were, I remember vividly, you did not believe. I think Rihanna Crean was a pit reporter at the time. Yeah. You had to be convinced <laughs> that you had pole. You thought they were pulling your leg. Uh, well, I, I didn't actually know. I asked my engineer, um, David Patterson, at the time. And at the at that point, we, we used to call Barber Gallo or Wanneroo as the cheese grater because the track was so hard on tyres before they resurfaced it. And I, I did my flying lap and I hadn't heard anything. So I thought, I better do another lap. And I look back, I think, why the bloody hell did I do another lap? Like that just ripped those tyres to shred. But on the on the in lap, I was like, Pato, like, where are we? Like, how do we go? I have no idea. And I wasn't expecting pole position because in practice we were, yeah, we weren't very competitive in practice. And uh, as I'm literally parking the car on the 45, um, he says, uh, yeah, you pay one. And I was like, holy crap, like this is this is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, really my second round in Super 2 and, and we put it on pole. So, um, yeah, that was... So when I thought, well, maybe, you know, this this could work. And, uh, yeah, we did two years with Tickford. At the end of that year, um, we got I think we got the Mike Cable Award at the end of that year. Um, Which you should point out, people have heard of that award a little bit, but it's it started its life as kind of the Rookie of the Year Award. It's become correct, more known yeah. as a Young Gun Award. And Mike was a, a journo for the Australian back in the day. He passed away 20-odd years ago just before it was instigated. So it's about supporting young drivers, and he was a big fan of um, young drivers and, and opportunities and promoting them to particularly to go overseas as well, which you've obviously done. So um, for people who hear about the Mike Cable Award, it's, it's in essence for the best first-year supercar driver across the – whether across it's the, the main two, yeah. game or the, the Super 2, now Super 3 series as well. Just thought I'd mention that because people sometimes hear that and probably don't know the background because it was first awarded – in 2000, do you know who won the first one? Oh, I was going to – I don't know who won the – well. Uh, the question is the first one. Okay. Uh, He's been part of your supercar uh, journey. Uh, I know Grant Daniel won it. He did, but, but that was a few years later. Okay. He's been part of my supercar journey. Mm. Do you want me to put you out of your misery here? Oh, yeah, please do. Matthew White. Matthew White. Matty White won the very first one in 2000 off the back of his performance in the first oh, year wow. of what was then the Konica V8 Light Series. Well, there, there you go. go. There Good you on go. you, Matty White. There you go. There you go. So Matthew White Motorsport's going to come into the conversation Beautiful. shortly. But, so 2018, we're learning. We've had a shunt. We've got a pole. You know, we're just finding our way here. 19, more competitive. Bryce Fullwood's kind of the man to beat in Matty White's Nissan. Um, there's, but you get going. You really found your groove and same car, same team, just learning the tracks. Um, and there's a Bathurst 250K race in among there, the single driver race, which was a bit of a unique way for that one to finish though. Do you remember that? The 2018 or 2019? 19. Yeah, well, 19 – well, actually both were pretty crazy, but 19 was, um, was yeah, I crossed the line second but – Ended up being handed the uh, the win at the end yeah, by and, default. And how did that all come to be? Because so Bryce Forward won the race across the line, but was pinged from memory for going too fast through a yellow flag. That's correct. Area on the last lap. 
Yeah. Well, the second last lap, so, or whatever think, it was. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a, so there was a double-waved yellow at the last corner because someone was in the – I think someone was in the wall or in the gravel right there. So double-waved yellow and, um, I mean – for him, what like a terrible way to lose it because he was actually quite dominant that weekend. But if we roll back the clock to the day before, I had a crash in practice and uh, up coming down the hill over Skyline and I thought, shit, we're, we're going to be done. But the boys managed to rebuild the car. We got out for qualifying. I think I, I, I just wanted to make sure I put some form of lap in and we qualified sixth. So the day before we thought we were nearly going to be putting the car in the truck to end up actually winning the race. Um, that was pretty cool and up until that point, the year actually, we didn't have much luck uh, whether or not you make your own luck, some people say, or the harder you work, the luckier you get. But the first round, the first race we were taken out of and at that time the first round for Super 2 was three races in Adelaide mm. and it was a progressive grid whereas now every race you do you qualify separately for. So, but that one, it was you finish the first race first, you start the next one first, vice versa, and we were wiped out of the first one, so finished last, or DNF, sorry, so no points. And that end of the first round, we were on the back foot. And, um, yeah, that that sort of made it pretty difficult from there to try and win the title. But um, to, I guess, have things change and sort of be on our way was, uh, was quite nice. I mean, you know, I, I felt for Bryce in a way because I'd feel pretty gutted if I was him, but, I mean... He had quite a big lead, so uh, you know, I guess it should have been his, but mm. but we got it. Um, but was yeah. this one of those ones where you're at dinner that night and you get a phone call to say, "By the way, <laughs> you've won." Literally was. It was? literally was, and uh, it was hard getting the trophy off them. But um, <laughs> I actually got the I think I actually got the trophy off Matty White the year I drove from. I said, "Hey, um, by the way, any chance you know you can uh, you know hand us that trophy? I'll swap you. <laughs> I'll swap you." So um, now nah, look, it was yeah, it was good to get that, and we had a couple wins that year. Um, so that put us yeah in a good position for, for 2020. But I'd say one of the highlights for me in 2019 was actually the the endurance side of things with Lee Holdsworth. We, we had quite a, quite a cool endurance campaign. Well, before you got to the Enduros, though, there was your main game debut oh, as a wild right. card. Yeah, so is, it was yeah. going to go there first. But, Jeez, so it's been the, a bit of racing, hasn't it? Oh, I know. There's a bit to catch up on. But the bend, 2019. So going into that season, was there the, the – the prospect of endurance co-drive and wildcard stuff or was it a, let's see how you go and we'll make that call as we as we go along because you're only going into year two of Super 2 so they they want to get a bit of a grasp on where you're at was that locked in at the start of the year or was it something that came because you were you were going well in the regular game uh, that was yeah I think that was pretty much locked in at the start of the year I mean I know it was only my second year in Super 2 but I, I was, I'd like to hope that whether it's in Super 2 or the other categories I've done that I'd, I'd built up you know quite a lot of experience and uh, I, I can't remember if it was locked. If I knew, I don't think I was locked in with Lee. I didn't know who I'd be with at the time. Um, but when I found out it was with Lee, it was it was pretty exciting. And yeah, it wasn't announced till actually after I did that wild card at the bend. And and that wild card was such an amazing experience. I mean, you know, you grow up seeing all these supercar races, and uh, you watch that many Bathursts growing up, and to actually finally be on that grid, um, it was um, was pretty special. And I think we had quite a quite a strong week. I think it was a two race weekend mm. that weekend. Yep. Now it's a yep. three race round, but um, I think we, I think we finished both races. You're mid, mid pack, mid pack. You're a mid pack all weekend. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that was when they had that knockout practice. So if you finished, I think it was if you finished top ten in practice, you were straight into like there was a three part qualifying. You're straight into Q two, and in that practice, we managed to finish in the top ten. So 
that was uh, that was pretty cool. And um, at the time, Tickford were running the four cars. Um, so to have a fifth car and that, to be in the ten, I think they had. I can't remember if they had all five in the 10 or four in the 10, but it was a pretty cool day for the team. Mm. Do you remember who was on the front splitter of that car, front bumper? Who was on the front bumper. On the front it bumper. It would be a guy named um, or a company named Vietz. So oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It was. But yeah. a little bit of a history there getting yeah, involved with, yeah. with the team. In You were on my race suit at the time. Uh, in the Super 2 car yeah. the, the previous yeah. year and Cam Waters when he was yeah. – in Super Two, just little opportunities that popped up as we were trying to build. Well, I mean, brand hey, there's always an op- hey, there's always, always an opportunity. Op- op- he's wheeling a deal here. <laughs> Jeez, we're mid-interview and he's already uh, hit me up. Jeez, but uh, that was a great little opportunity for, for us because we've been involved with a bunch of young drivers over the journey, just to help out in little ways where we can. Will Brown's another one that we we did some stuff with when he was um, at Eggleston's in Super Two on his way through. So, um, and to look back on to have had our logo on some race cars is pretty cool in the grand scheme of things. But those Enduros worked out better than you could have imagined. So you drove with Lee in the Bottolo car and you get on the podium at the Sandown 500. So first time in the main game Enduros as a you know collective back when we had three, Bathurst, Gold Coast, Sandown was the last of them uniquely that time. Yeah. Um, normally it was pre-Bathurst, but for that year it was at the end of them. So you end up on the podium here. I mean, this is what a year. I, I mean, if someone had said that we were going to be on the podium, um, I would have said they're joking. I mean, I look back on that period and I think there was actually like a fair bit of pressure on me at the time because. But you didn't feel it. Not not really. No, I mean, just I was not really tuned into it. No, too busy? I was I was so comfortable with the car at the time, and um, you know, I we felt like we had every opportunity to to have a good result, and we were running really well at Bathurst, and then you know there was quite a bit of controversy with what happened there, and. You what know. sort of controversy, oh, Thomas? Oh, oh, I don't get into it. The too cars much. are all going slow. Is that well, the one? Cars are going so pretty slow. So your there. car was in among that. Yeah, we were. So in how, among how that. were you affected in that? How well, was your car? I, I think we were affected. Well, we worked out that we we're effectively going to come out around about P three, um, but you know we ended up so far down the back. So that was, you know, at the time I probably didn't grasp the importance of that as much because for me it was my first Bathurst and I was just so just excited by everything and I think the rest of the team were pretty unhappy about what had happened but for me I was like I didn't really click that oh right okay we were actually we're in a pretty good spot there um and then we went to Gold Coast and I'd never raced a supercar there before I remember we did I think it was a 20 minute practice session for the code drivers and that was it and then the next time I got in the car was to start the race on Saturday and Lee qualified fifth on both days and I was on the Saturday, I was freaking out because I thought, <laughs> bloody hell, a bit of pressure here. I've got Garth Tander there, Michael Crusoe here, Lounsey's a, a, a row up as well. And and uh, anyway, we managed to get uh, two sixth-place finishes. So at this point, I think we finished ninth at Bathurst, two sixth places here. And for the at that time, they had the Pertec Enduro Cup as well. I was like, okay, we're actually doing okay because mm. there were some misfortunes for other people and, and we thought, okay, well, let's just try and finish off the off the season strong or the enduro campaign strong. And um, yeah, we get to Sandown and uh, I think qualifying, something happened. It was I think it was damp or something and Lee qualified the car just out of the 10. And then the co-driver race was quite an interesting one because it started off dry and then it started raining. And, and I'm, I think I got the car up to fifth. I think we I finished the race fifth. So I started 11th and got up to fifth and... Sort of just treated it like a Super 2 race, you know. I just was just trying to pass as many cars as possible. I'm like, I knew the car's fast. I know the car's fast. We need to put it in a spot where we've got every chance. So um, we started the main race sixth 
and I think we got it up to, yeah, I started the race, got up to about third spot at the time or second and, uh, and yeah, Lee jumped in and we ended up finishing on the podium and we actually finished third in the Enduro Cup as well. So quite amazing that I didn't really know how it was going to go and, and uh, yeah, we ended up with a podium. That was a tick for 2-3 because Moffat and Chaz finished second in that race. So to get two tick for cars on the podium to end that campaign was was pretty special. But the thing was for 2020, which we didn't know what the world was about to have go on with it, but even though you've had such a great year with Tickford, particularly Enduros, solid Super 2 improvement, wildcard at the bend, you're not with them for 2020. Just no room? What was the story there? Um, oh, I guess there was different reasons at the time. I mean, I knew that the like obviously Bryce won the championship in the Super 2. And uh, I was like, you know, I know that's a good car to be in. And I thought, I guess if I'm in that car, I've got every opportunity to win. And I didn't care about anything else. I thought, I just want to win that title because the last thing I, in my career, the last thing I want is to, at that point or now, is to, if I got to supercars or when I'm in supercars, I would like to want people to know that I got there on merit. And as a spectator, when I watch, whether it's F1, supercars, cricket, whatever it is, I go to watch it because I'm watching the best of the best play the best of the best. And I'd like to hope that I get there because I deserve to be there. And I figured, well, you know what? If I win the Super 2 title, I've won the Formula Ford title, I won this Toyota Racing Series. If I win this, it's just going to add that to the list. And it, it makes you a legitimate participant. Correct. You haven't just got there because of other means and ways. Your resume stands up. Yeah, and I so felt, that was really important to you. A lot of other drivers would be just, I don't care how, I just want to get in. No, but you wanted to get in that way. Correct. I was like, you know what? And, and I actually said, we said, Dad and I said to each other, if we don't make it to supercars, we know that we've we've achieved basically everything we can up to this point. Because if you win Super Two, it's kind of like whether you win in, in the VFL or the, the category below or Formula Two. If we don't make it, we've basically won the category below, and that's really. What else? What else can, can, what, you, do? What else can you do? Yeah. So um, we we did. And the you felt that the Nissan was the best car to achieve that with, rather than the Falcon. At the time, yeah, we did, and uh, so we went. Yeah, we went with Matty White, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we co-drove. We didn't co-drive with Tickford. I think at the time they wanted to make sure that I guess their Super Two drivers were whoever was driving for them in Super Two was going to be co-driving for them, which I can understand. Um, so we went with Percat. In the, in the Brad Jones Commodore at the time. And um, I was really looking forward to the year because I thought, yeah, I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about how I got to the track, where I stayed or whatever. I was like, I just know, I reckon, if I do my job properly, we can win the title and, and Matty White can go back to back. And, uh, yeah, I guess at the time I, I didn't really know what was in store for the world and also what was in store for myself. And there you have it, Thomas Randall, part one done in the V8 Sleuth podcast. And the best part is part two. In part two, he opens up in depth about the biggest fight of his life, the battle with testicular cancer that really shocked everybody in motor racing that someone so young could be affected by this. And he discusses too the motor racing faux pas that led to it being discovered. We talk about that and so much more, including, I love this story, how he pulled some strings behind the scenes to have Fernando Alonso, his childhood hero, drive his Castrol Mustang supercar at Albert Park 
in 2022. It's a cool story. Before I go, make sure the Castrol Motorsport News podcast is tuned in for you. Every Tuesday, subscribe so you don't miss an app. AVL and Stefan have got all the latest and greatest in local and international news notes and quotes, all the analysis and insight that you need every week to stay across motorsport. It is keeping the motorsport news name alive in a new era. I'll have another Repco Supercars weekly episode for you later this week, and we'll be back next Wednesday with the V8 Sleuth Podcast, part two of my chat with Thomas Randall. If you're listening to this down the track and we've already got part two released, go and listen to it now. If you're listening to it at the time that we've released it, you're going to have to wait another week for part two. Hope you've enjoyed this one. I'll chat to you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Bye for now. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.